I want to start with an uh, illustration here. In 1992, the news reporter, he reported something that was unusual. It was this modern work of art. There was a chair sitting there in the museum, and it had a shotgun affixed to the chair. It was to be viewed by sitting in the chair. Now, you pay your money to go do this, to sit in the chair, look directly into the gun barrel. The gun was indeed loaded and sat on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next hundred years. People waited in long lines to sit and stare in the shell's path. They all knew that the gun could go off at some point. At point-blank range at any moment, they were gambling that the fatal blast just would not happen to them. What's my point? You see, the point is that many of us really wouldn't dream of doing that, would you? Would you pay your money to go do that? Many of us wouldn't dream to do that, but you know what? We are gambling with our eternity. Amen. We're gambling that we will get away with sin. Well, my sisters, I'm here to tell you there are two kinds of people. The first kind is the kind that says there is no God. This is the first kind that says that there is no true and living God. My God is a tree. My God is a rat. My God is whatever I say that my God is. That's the first kind. You know, but then there's the second kind. You see, we put our faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. We rely on grace and mercy, and then we go and do what we want to do. Because we simply say that God's grace is sufficient, is it not? We take advantage of the grace of God, and we go and do what we want and rely on that I have my ticket. See, we're talking about spiritually healthy, amen? We're talking about spiritually mature. We don't want to be that person. So we want to dive in and see what does the Bible say about this reality of these two kinds of individuals. So if you would, take a look with me at Psalm 86, verse 11. It simply says this, teach me your way, O God. See, somebody ought to get excited right there. You see, because if the Lord God teaches you, then you've truly been taught. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might what? Walk, O oh God, that I might walk in your truths. Unite my heart to fear your name. Amen. Amen? Amen? Psalm 86 and 11. Listen, let's get a little context here. The context of Psalm 86 11 is the Bible knowledge commentary says this. It says the psalmist is praying for instruction that he might be even more faithful. Anybody want to be even more faithful? You see, y'all are going to have to forgive me because I'm a walker and the mic won't go with me. So I'm going to make it up as I go. He wants to be even more faithful to God. Hallelujah. Have you ever been praying and you're saying, God, I, I, I don't like me anymore? Oh, maybe it's just me. Have you ever been sick and tired of you? I'm not talking about the person you live with. I'm not talking about the person you sit next to. I'm saying, have you ever been sick and tired of you? You see, the psalmist says, teach me, O God, that I might be even more faithful to you. He desired to know God's way so that he could dedicate himself. Somebody say dedicate. dedicate. See, today you ought to dedicate yourself to the Lord. Now, I know many of us have been dipped. We've been sprinkled. Yeah, I said sprinkled. We've been dipped and we've been sprinkled, but many of us may not be walking the way that the Lord would have us to walk. 
teach me, O oh God, to be even more faithful. You see, he wanted to know, he wanted to dedicate himself so that he would have undivided loyalty. Listen, let me talk on it for a minute. Undivided loyalty, you see. Some of us are loyal to Facebook. Some of us are loyal to chocolate chip cookies. Some of us are loyal to our pets. But oftentimes, we choose not to be loyal to the Lord. He's saying, teach me to have undivided loyalty, God. Undivided meaning where even I don't get in my way. Undivided loyalty. In addition, he vowed to praise God's greatness wholeheartedly. You see, this is when you get beside yourself in church and people wonder what, what her wig done came off. Girl, you don't understand what I've been through all week. You don't know what the Lord has brought me through in the last two years. You don't know what the Lord has done for me. Yeah, all of it came swinging off. Yes, it did. Because I vow to praise him wholeheartedly for he is indeed God. See, that's what the psalmist is saying. Now, the New American Commentary suggests that the psalmist is saying he's taking the humble stance to be a learner in God's school. You see, y'all do know that we will never graduate from this school, right? I am grateful for all of you who have graduated from the training institute here, but guess what? You still got some learning to do. You see, he's taking an humble stance of being a learner. He's asking the Lord to teach him his pattern of life. You see, mama taught us, grandmama taught us, granddaddy taught us, friends taught us, the streets taught us. But there is no teaching like the Lord's teaching. We want the Lord to teach us. This commentary says that the psalmist is not insisting on his own way. He accepts the Lord's way for him. Come on, listen. When we say, God, have thine own way, we've got to mean, God, have thine own way. Thy will be done, not my will, God. And the way that you know when you're kicking against the grain is when God allows something to happen in your life and you get mad at God. Now, how are you going to be mad at the creator who created heaven and earth? Not insisting on your own way. God, you got to do it this way. God, you got to come through. God, I, no, no. Ask Jonah. Ask Job. Ask Abraham. Ask Moses. God will do it his way. Have thine own way, God. Not insisting on his own way. He accepts the Lord's way for him. The psalmist is saying that he's affirming that he will live by the Lord's truth. You see, we need to live by truth and not by tradition. Come on now, I know I'm on somebody's street. See, traditionally, we've gone to church because it's the thing that you do. Traditionally, we show up with, for Bible study because it's the thing that you do. Traditionally, we come in and we speak, good morning, sister, because it's the thing that you do. But do you care about your sister enough to stick around for the answer when you say, how you doing? Or are you on the other side of the building before she can answer? You see, truth versus tradition. Tradition says, I do these things because I'm supposed to do these things. Truth says, I do what I'm supposed to do because the Lord God sent his son to die on the cross on my behalf. So therefore, I do what I am called to do out of an honest, loving response to a holy God. You see, affirming that he will live by the Lord's truth. The psalmist is realizing his propensity to be unfaithful. Okay, I'm going to say it in a way maybe you understand it. See, the psalmist is realizing that he's all jacked up. Anybody? 
You see, the psalmist is realizing that I do what I want to do when I want to do it because I want to do it. And then I'm in all kinds of trouble. He's recognizing his propensity to be unfaithful. See, some of us have a propensity to be spiritually unhealthy. We have a propensity to be slothful. Okay, let me fix it for you, to be lazy. We have a propensity to be angry. We have a propensity to be gossipy. We have a propensity to sin, right? The psalmist is realizing this, and he asks the Lord to unite his whole person in commitment to him. You see, that's where we should be, asking the Lord to draw us near. Lord God, draw near to me as I draw near unto you. Fix me, O Lord. Mold me, shape me, make me, God. Create in me what you would have me to be, God. Draw out the things in me that are not like you. This is Psalm 86. Now listen, this is what we are going to say today. Teach me, O Lord, to be a disciple of Christ. Well, you've heard the word a million times, but you need to understand that discipleship is God's work. It's not our work, it's God's work. Changing a believer into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We can't do that. Stop trying to make and mold and shape the people around you. That's not your job. Maybe if you show them the love of Christ, then the Christ will enter into their heart. Oftentimes, we're walking so crooked, they can't see the light. Discipleship is God's work. Listen, I heard a preacher once say, there is no uh, job openings in the Trinity. Positions are full. But too often, we're trying to play the Holy Spirit in the lives of those around us. Discipleship is God's work. No, I'm not saying you don't teach them. I'm not saying you don't mentor them. I don't say, I'm not saying you don't spend time. But understand this, when people don't change, it ain't your fault. But if you don't change. All right, I'm not going to be messy up in here, Sister Felix. I'm going to go on. Creating a new identity. See, this is what God does. Changing a believer into the likeness of Jesus Christ by creating a new identity in Christ. This is our salvation moment which then empowering a lifelong relationship of love, trust, obedience to glorify God. That's sanctification. And we're going to be there all our lives until we go to glory. So what does being a disciple of Christ really look like? It's one who is committed to seeking Christ, seeking Christ in order to know him, to worship him, and to serve him. It's one, this results in displaying the character, values, and passions of Christ and rightly relating with God, the Father. You've got to be committed to seeking Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means you've got to spend time. You're going to have to give up some, some uh, I don't know if Oprah still comes on, but you're going to have to give up some of that. Or, or let, me, let me tell you what I do know comes on, Desperate Housewives. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to give all of that hip hop, Atlanta, whatever that is. You're going to need to give up some of that stuff. Tickety-tockety? Yeah, it's all right for a time, but if you're committed, you're going to need to get committed and serious about studying the Word of God. You're going to need to set out some time. You want to be spiritually healthy? You've got to donate some time to it. We want to say, teach me, O Lord, to be appreciative of your saving grace. Let me ask you, anybody thankful? Listen, the blood ran down for us. Are you thankful? Oh, I can't tell. 
You see, I know that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't know about you. I'm very appreciative of the grace of God. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 say this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, renounce, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, Come on, self-controlled. Oh, y'all ain't hear me. Self-controlled. Oh, if I could walk around. Self-controlled. You see, because see, some of us aren't self-controlled. We're walking around our house with houses with fits of rage. You see, you look beautiful today. But what happened before you left the house? Don't raise your hand. Go and testify about it, because you might be tempted to test a lie. Self-controlled. We are called to live self-controlled lives, to be upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who what? Gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own passion who are zealous for good works. Let me rush ahead here. Becoming a godly woman is not optional. Let me say it in terms of our conference. Being a spiritually healthy woman is not optional. You see, I know that maybe we thought I can just keep on doing what I've been doing and dip and dabble and you know, no ma'am. Becoming a spiritually healthy, mature woman is not optional. Why is it not optional? Because God's truth, God's grace demands holy living. Listen, if you think about what our Savior Jesus Christ went through, let me take you back. You see, they called him names. They said, if you are a king, then get yourself down from here. They pierced him in his side. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him and beat him until his flesh was flicked off of his body. For what? So that we might have eternal life. You see, that grace... That unmerited favor demands holy living. So the next time that you say, oh, I just won't understand that he did. The next time that you just say, I can't stop doing A, B, and C, remember that he did. You got to remember that he, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died, literally died, rose, and guess what, saints? He's coming back again. So that grace, that grace that some of us really ought to be shouting about demands godly living. So the next time all my single, all the single ladies, where are my singles at? Come on, singles, singles, yes, yes, raise your hand high. Listen, the next time that tall, dark, and chocolate walk on up to you and you are tempted, you need to go on and say, get thee behind me, Satan. For the grace of God flows down upon my life. Listen, it demands godly living. God's grace should lead Christians to say no. Somebody ought to say it with me, no. No. But listen, we so busy telling everybody else in the world no, you need to tell yourself no. Self, no. Come on, practice it with your mirror. Self, no. All right now. 
God's grace should lead Christians to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live, there's that word again, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. The gospel of grace affects our present behavior when we focus on God's unmerited favor in our past. Listen, when you think about what God has done for you, all that he's done for you, there's an old hymn, right? When I think about what God has done for me, all that he's done for me. Listen, when I think about where I could be, Understand, I passed some homeless people on my way here. That could have been me, should have been me. Understand that I saw some prostitutes out walking the street. Could have been me, should have been me. I saw some people strung out on drugs. Hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. Could have been me and should have been me. Anybody got a testimony? You see, when you think back over your life of what God has brought you through and what he's taking you to, you will understand that the grace of God demands holy living. Teach me, O Lord, to be a godly woman. Teach me, O Lord, to be a spiritually mature woman. Teach me, O Lord, to be a spiritually healthy woman. Now, I want to leave you with this. 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 6. Now, this is where you put your seatbelt on. And you say, the text says this. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. The text says this. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. This is the ESV version. Test, examine yourselves. You see, here is the problem. Many of us are sitting in church going straight to hell. You see, many of us profess, but we don't possess a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you why I say that. I say that because many of us thought that we came to Christ to get a ticket to heaven. You were saved from something to someone. You were saved from sin unto a right relationship with a live and real living individual. You are to be in relationship. His word says in Romans, if you love me, then what? You will keep my commands. You see, the fruit shows whether or not we fail the test. Now, it's not perfection. You can't be perfect. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But many of us continue. It says, shall I continue in sin? No, may it never be. Many of us continue to do the thing that we say we are not doing because we think nobody can see it. See, God sees everything. Everything. I'm encouraging you, my sister, today. Examine yourself to see whether you are really in the faith. Please don't leave here this weekend without examining yourself. We need to determine, am I a disciple or not? Is it live or is it Memorex? (laughs) You see, ungodly living for a Christian woman is a clear sign that she does not fully understand these things. The woman that continues to uh, do what she wants to do when she wants to do, the woman that continues to sin. Now, I'm not talking as if we're ever going to be perfect because nobody is perfect. Not me, not you, not no one is perfect. But the one that continues to do what she wants to do, the one who says, I got a husband and I want yours too. 
You see, the single woman that says, I am so upset with God that he's not working out in my time frame. Doesn't he know that my eggs are shriveling up? Does he not know that I have needs? So you go out and meet those needs your own way, expecting the grace of God to cover you. Listen, I just want you to know, I stopped by to tell you, you read what you sow. Ungodly living for a Christian woman is a clear sign that either she does not fully understand these things or she does not actually believe them. You see, when you are saved by that transforming grace power, when the Lord steps into your life and delivers you from your pit, your muck, your miry, ho, ho! Listen, when you are truly delivered, then you start to look at your life and you start to examine. I, I used to love this song that says, I looked at my hands and they look new. Hey! Ha! I looked at my feet hey, and they do too. You start to look at life differently. You used to sneak them pins from the job home. You know, look, well, says it's just a pin. You know, at the grocery store, that woman tried to give you things that you didn't pay for. You get all of, no, girl, no, did you bring that up? That's not mine. I better take that back. You see, you start to examine because you do not want to displease a holy God. Ultimately, each believer is responsible for learning, growing, and living as a faithful follower of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 2 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. You see, some of us act like unbelievers. We act like fleshly people. You know, many of us, are, I've been in church 50 years. I understand. But I just saw you out in the foyer cussing somebody out. I don't understand. I'm confused. Is your mouth not redeemed? I'm concerned. You see, many of us think that we are fully grown and fully mature and we are truly babes in Christ. You see, the pastor's trying to preach, the teachers are trying to teach, and we're so busy choking on that meat because we really just need milk because we're babes in Christ. We lack the ability to handle solid solid food. We are extremely feeling-oriented. You see, touchy-feely, anybody say something to you or don't say something to you, this is disciple or not. Have you ever met a sister where she's mad because somebody didn't speak to her on Sunday morning? But you don't know what's going on in her world. You don't know if somebody died. You don't know if she's got a pain. You don't know. You don't know. Or somebody accidentally bumps you. Oh, my goodness. No, she didn't. You don't even know if maybe her legs gave out. Was she, was she falling? You see, we're so extremely feeling-oriented, lacking in self-control, self-centered. It's all about me. See, that's babies. Anybody got any infants running around your house? Well, they ain't running around. But little bitty babies, what do they do? They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they're wet. They cry. They just cry. That's many of us up in the church house. <laughs> Pastor won't let me. Hey, Sister Felix won't let me. You know, they really should tell us, baby, baby, come here. Come here. Grow up. 
self-centered, very self-centered, easily impressed and easily led astray. You know why many of us church how? Because somebody that comes along and says, oh, well, we can do it better over here on this church. Oh, we got this and we have that. And, we have, and before you get right on over there, hop yourself right on over there. And then when you get there, you find out they have problems too because there is no perfect church. So then what do you do? You hop yourself right on back home, right? Easily impressed and easily led astray. Listen, let me say this. This wasn't in my notes, but let me say this. All of y'all with these social media preachers that you're allowed, I'm not saying you can't have intake because I have a social media outlet that I, I, you know, I do different things. I'm saying you can't intake, but I'm saying don't make that your primary food. That needs to be your snack. All of y'all feeding on all of these social media preachers and they're teaching things that's different than what you're getting from your home. Some of that you need to let go of or you need to see if it lines up. How about you take their names to your pastor and ask him what you think about this guy? Oh, no, because see, that would be accountability. Mm. Uh-oh. All right, I'm meddling now. I'm going to go on. True disciples, true disciples can handle strong teaching. You see, true disciples can handle somebody that says to you, oh, no, baby, come here, let me share something with you. Come here, let me, let me help you understand this. No, please don't speak to your husband in that manner. He is not your child. Mm, meddling again. All right. <laughs> baby, that them clothes that you put on your teenager, not where is she going looking like that, ma'am? No, they can handle strong teaching. They have a lifestyle that is distinctly different. Listen, if your life is not different than those around you that don't know the Lord, something's wrong. Too often we are upset because people don't like us because we're different. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. I've been working on that. I've been trying to be special in Jesus. Amen. You need to be okay with being different. And true disciples are concerned about others, not just concerned about themselves. We're moving to a close. Godly women are maturing women. Godly women seem to become mature saints. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you. The elementary principles are of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. Now, this is where we get offended, right? Somebody tell you, you just act like a baby. (laughs) You just act like a baby. But you know what? I need to stop in that moment and say, oh, God, thank you for allowing someone to share truth with me because they could have left me in this state because, you know, we'll do that. That ain't my problem. Right. For he is an infant. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good. And evil. You see, when you're constantly spending time in the, in the word of God, when you are trying to be spiritually healthy, your senses are trained to discern. You discern what is good. You discern what is evil. You discern when the conversation coming your way is not of God. You, could, you discern when it comes out of your mouth that you need to, right? You ever told yourself, I, I, before Jack gets, gets out of the box, right? Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Listen, if you're not studying the word of God, if you're not spending time in the word of God, you're not discerning anything. And everything is walking all up to your door and knocking and coming right on in and having a seat. Everything. 
What is the lifestyle of the godly woman? Christ's likeness is their ultimate aim. Christ likeness is their ultimate aim. Not climbing the corporate ladder, not this career, not getting a man, not keeping a man, not having children. None of that is their aim. Those are great things that happen on this side of heaven, but ultimately Christ likeness is our aim. The lifestyle of a godly woman. She utilizes her time and talents for God's purposes. You see, many of our churches are not growing because we're too busy doing things out in the world. You see, they can't get us to come to the church. They can't get us to stay at the church. They can't get us to do anything at the church because we're so busy outside of the church. Now, I'm not saying you don't go out and evangelize and disciple, but that's not what we're doing. We out buying shoes and getting our nails done, doing whatever else. And that's all fine and well in its place. But is that more important to you than whatever needs to happen in the local body? The harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. The lifestyle of a godly woman adapts her attitudes and actions to conform to biblical standards. And guess what, saints? She acts appropriately toward the opposite sex. Now, I'm talking to married, single, and everything in between. She acts appropriately with the opposite sex. I don't have time to talk about it. Ask one of these four ladies sitting on this front row about it, but you need to understand married, single, or otherwise, in this life as women, we need to act appropriately towards the opposite sex. Ultimately, 1 John 3 says, a Christian woman who truly loves Christ and, and looks forward to his return will pay any price, any price. That means cutting off friends, family, media, Listen, I don't know where you stand on your sipping. Mm, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't, know, I don't know where your theology is, but I'm going to tell you what. A woman who truly loves Christ will pay any price. She will bring her life into conformity. She will cut off every single thing that hinders her growth in Christ, lest she disappoint him at his return. Here's some questions I want you to walk out of here and think about. What consumes your time? Come on, what's taking up all your time? Should this time be used to glorify God and benefit others? What should be the priority in your life? Have you abused the grace of God? Are you using God's grace as a license to sin? Do you continue in your sins but count on God's grace to forgive you? You see, I remember before I was saved, I would pray, Lord, you know I'm about to go. But see, I wasn't saved. I'm about to, you know, if you just let me do this, then, you know, I'll give you Sunday. And see, if we're honest, some of us are still doing that. God, I know that I just cussed her. I, I understand your word says let no un... But if she, if she, I didn't, I wouldn't have had to, if she wouldn't have... Hmm. Are you seeking to grow up as a Christian woman or are you more comfortable with the reality that God's mercy and grace will cover your sins? What price are you paying in order to bring your life under submission? You see, you want to suffer for righteousness sake. 
So do people not like you because of righteousness sake or do they not like you because you're not likable? What price are you paying to bring your life under the submission of God's holy standards? You do know that God has a standard and he's not moving it. It's not going to change. Have you separated from people, places, and products that are clearly ungodly? Now, this is not a call to leave your husband. Don't say I said it. It's not what I said. That's not what I said. I said, have you separated from people, places, and products that are clearly ungodly? Now, we're going to talk later about whether or not I think it's ungodly or not, whether or not I'm just calling it a mistake, whether or not I'm just calling it, you know, that's just my bent, that's my thing. That's just who I am. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I'm leaving you with Psalm 86 and 11. Can you read it with me? Teach me your way that I unite Teach me your way, O Lord. Does anybody mean it? Teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Amen? Amen. Amen.